Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt DeBear. Uh, Matt, the tried-and-true formula of win at home and draw on the road in CONCACAF is currently in shambles. Your thoughts? Um, I, my, I, soccer teams that I actively support have won one game in the last, like, six weeks. So, <laughs> so, so who, who, who is going, it? It's, it, it's the U.S., it's the crew, and then do you, you don't have a Premier League team, correct? Not really, no. Okay. Thought so. We need, a, we, we need to get you to be, like, a Bayern fan or something like that, just to, just to balance things out in the world of I need to find the I need to find the most Cleveland European team, and that will be that, then everything will fall perfectly into place. Ooh, I'm going to take some time to think about that one. But in the meantime, uh, we are going to talk about Penn State. Uh, the Nittany Lions kicked off the 2020 se- 2021 season. Apologies. Uh, well, they won their first game of the 2020 season, too. Uh, but kicked off the 2021 season with a 16-10 to win over Wisconsin in Camp Randall. Badgers outgained them uh, pretty comfortably, uh, 359 yards to 297 for Penn State. Of course, the big thing that uh, seemed to have gotten all the attention was Wisconsin just controlled the football in this game. Uh, 40, nearly 43 minutes of possession compared to a little more than 17 for Penn State. But turnovers uh, and big plays were the names of the game. Wisconsin turned it over three times. Penn State did not. Uh, Sean Clifford was able to connect with his receivers for a handful of big plays, most prominently a 49-yard touchdown pass to Jahan Dotson. Uh, interesting, interesting football game. Uh, Matt, before we uh, dive into it a little bit, uh, you know, I did the post game thing on Twitter Spaces with Nick, which keep an eye out for those throughout the season, friends. It's a little a newer thing that we're going to try to do after every game. Uh, just general thoughts on this game because uh, I don't know about you, but I did not think Penn State was going to win this one, so I was very happy to be wrong. You know, it was one of those where. I'm I'm an optimistic guy by nature, as I've said on this podcast, I don't know how many times, but given how wonky so much of last season was for so many reasons that we don't need to get into, and again, it was really difficult to really have much of an idea about what to expect, just kind of in general with not just Penn State, but with Wisconsin, who dealt with their own host of issues last year, um, and I think despite some of the hype that they've had heading into the season, they had maybe not as many questions, but they had quite a few big questions to answer themselves um, heading into the game. So I was probably not as confident as I normally would be, um, especially going to Camp Randall. But on the other hand, um, I I was, I guess, pleasantly surprised. I think because a lot of things that went wrong in the first half that we'll talk about here in a little bit are things that they struggled with a lot last year, um, especially during those first five games of the season where it just felt like things snowballed and especially the offensive side of the ball, just nothing was working. They couldn't hang on to the ball. Lots of three and outs, lots of negative plays, just a lot of nothing going right. And what I think as we talk about this game a little bit more, I think what really stands out to me more than anything is how they didn't let that get to them, which I think has really been a hallmark of James Franklin's mm-hmm. teams at Penn state since he's been here is their ability to get to the half, make adjustments, kind of settle down, whether they're making adjustments or just kind of getting back to what they want to do. 
they were able to do that. Last year, that wasn't the case. Things snowballed out of control, and they'd get to the locker room, and they'd be down two or three scores by that point, and the game was kind of lost in a lot of a lot of ways. So that resiliency, I think, seeing the return of that, and then just you know the individual performances by a number of players that we'll talk about here as we get into it, um, guys that Penn State's going to re- need to rely on over the next 11 uh, regular season games, and then a 12th or 13th game or 14th even, um, the guys that they needed to step up did step up for the most part. Um, and when they faced adversity with Ellis Brooks getting ejected during, um, I think it was the last uh, Wisconsin series, they really, it, again, they they moved Lakita to middle linebacker, put Harburton back in at end, and they didn't really miss a beat. Um, so just that, that overall resiliency, that overall not getting too high, not getting too low during the game, I think is is a really welcome sight to see that back for the first time in a couple of years. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I mean, after, after last season, I don't think it would be unfair to question, you know, question the metal of this team a little bit. I mean, with how they started the season, how uh, it seemed like they let Indiana beat them five weeks in a row or whatever it was, just that stuff seemed like it lingered. And I thought it would have been very easy for bad things to linger this week. Um, You know, with how bad, like I think the offense had something to the tune of 43 yards in the first half. When you have a performance that listless, where absolutely nothing is working, It'd be very easy for the offense to just go, all right, not our day, and, you know, keep banging their head into the wall for the second half. And then for the defense, I mean, I think back, you know, not quite a perfect comparison because uh, these games ended up playing out a little bit differently. But I think back to, uh, I believe it was, what was the revenge tour year for Michigan, Matt? It was 2018. Yeah, it was 20, 2018. Yes, yes. So it was 14 nothing at halftime. Penn State's defense was just playing out of its mind. Um, get to the second half of that game and uh, pulling it up right here, Michigan was on the field for 30. Michigan's offense was on the field for 38 minutes compared to 22 for Penn State. And then the, the, the quicksand happened. You know, just it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And eventually Penn State – just collapsed and Michigan was able to uh, really punish them, won that game 42 to seven. I thought that was possible here. Second half came along though, and Penn State's defense was just sublime. The offense started to get into a little bit more of a rhythm. And as a result, you know, Penn State's one and oh and picked up a uh, a very, very impressive win against what I still think is a pretty good Wisconsin team. Uh, let's dive into the game a little bit, Matt. Uh, we'll save the defense for a little, you know, we'll talk about that in a second. I want to start by talking about the offense. Starting with the first half where, you know, I have my game notes. Uh, on the fourth drive, I put Penn State's fourth drive on offense was its first drive in the second quarter. I just wrote woof. That was the only note I had. Then the sixth drive, I just wrote woof part two. Um, I I was really discouraged, even if I knew in the back of my mind that, 
there were reasons for this, but just what were your thoughts on Penn State's offense through the first half hour of this game? I, I think Wolf sums it up pretty well. Um, I think the one thing that, uh, to take the, the positive side of it, if you will, I don't know if there's a positive side of it, but they protected the football. Um, and I think going back to last year for just a second, they'd get in these situations where the offense was just stuck in a rut and you saw the quarterback position, whether it be Clifford or Will Levis, I think try to force things that weren't there. And for all their struggles, you know, they couldn't run the ball. They couldn't really protect Clifford. They couldn't complete a pass. They couldn't really stretch the field at all. They protected the ball. Clifford didn't really feel like he, it felt like last year there was, you know, a few times a game where you go, you kind of, your heart jumps into your throat because you, oh crap, you know, where, where was he throwing that, whether it was picked off or not. It didn't really feel like there were really many, if any, of those types of throws um, where he was trying to force something that just wasn't there because things were struggling so much. And he kind of alluded to that after the after the game that, um, you know, as fiery as, as Mike Yurcich has been in practice, and we've all read about it, you know, the way he gets on his players, um, both positively and negatively, you know, when, when things don't go right in the practice field. Um he was pretty even keeled according to Clifford and you a little bit. We saw him on the sideline. He wasn't getting too high or too low with, with his quarterback. Um, so I think the, the patience just shown overall by the offense, both coaches and players, I think was a little bit reassuring, even if things weren't going right. I think you have to give Wisconsin a bunch of credit too. Um, you know, we talk a lot about Wisconsin's offensive line and their running game and how efficient their offense can be. Um, it's very easy to forget how, good and almost dominant their defense has been very consistently now for 10 or 12 years. Um, and, and Jim Leonard, their, their coordinator now, I think it's the third guy they've had under Paul Christ um, running the defense um, has certainly continued that. And I might even argue he's, he's expanded on their, on their success, but um, I think it was just a combination of you know, facing a good defense in a tough environment, first game jitters, I think if you caught everyone in an honest moment, they would fully admit that their struggles last year were, were lingering. Um, but I think getting to the locker room zero zero, not turning it over, the defensive performance I think really allowed them to get back to what the hallmark of this this program has been for a few years, is is not letting negative plays, negative games, negative scenarios linger too much. Um, despite all, everything that really went wrong, other than not turning the ball over. I, I think I agree with that. I mean, it it really was a little bit of everything coming together. Like, I'm glad you mentioned Wisconsin's performance. I will do that in a second. But, like, think about the first four games of the Joe Moorhead era, for example, where, you know, Penn State's offense showed a lot of pretty good flashes uh, during that, but, you know, I'm pulling it up right now. 33-13 against Kent State, okay, that's pretty good. I think that pit game is a really good kind of um, comparison point because Penn State had eight, uh, not eight, uh, Penn State had uh, 14 points at halftime at that game, and it was not looking particularly good, particularly smooth. Installing an offense is a very difficult thing. It's something that takes time. It's uh, very much something that 
you can drill and drill and drill and have all the time in the world and practice. Your players can go back to their dorms and apartments and look at film, look at the playbook, look at this, look at that, whatever. There is no example for actually getting out on the football field and having to do it in real time. And having to do it in real time in that kind of environment against, like you mentioned, Matt, not just a really good defense. Uh, I Fourth in defensive SP plus last year, a defensive coordinator who was just really smart and really savvy uh, and wants to do stuff that uh, that challenges and makes the opponent opposing uh, quarterback ask questions in themselves. And then just the sheer fact that like Wisconsin plays a three, four Wisconsin plays a defense that you don't see all that often in college football. And all that comes together and you're at a point where Penn state had, you know, that feeling out process took a little bit longer than one might expect. But like you mentioned, the fact that, I thought that even though he didn't play particularly well and he had zero running game to work with for quite some time, uh, I thought Sean Clifford did a really good job not letting Penn State lose that game of the first half. Uh, third play of that game, Jackson, Wisconsin runs a stunt. Anthony Wiggins going to want that one back. I'm, I'm positive. But Jack Sanborn just comes off the edge and absolutely obliterate Sean Clifford. There were a few moments in that. There was another moment, I think maybe on the next drive, where Clifford tries to lob one uh, to someone and just completely misses Wisconsin having players in that area. Gets a little bit lucky not to get picked off. But once those potential quicksandy moments got out of the way, you know, it was just a bad performance. And I'd rather a bad performance than a catastrophic performance. And that's what Penn State ended up having. Uh, I think the what did you think about Penn State's inability to run the ball? Because I think that was something that I think that was something that at the time really concerned me. But in retrospect, I don't think it was as, uh, you know, ominous and as much of a harbinger of, a, a terrible running game as it might have seemed. No, I think the first thing that comes to mind with that is credit Wisconsin. They they did what you're going to see a lot of teams do this year until Penn State continuously does what they really did in the second half um, and have the passing game beat you. They're going to force Sean Clifford and the Penn State passing game to, to open them up. Um, I haven't gone back and watched it closely enough to say for sure, but I'm going to hazard a guess that Wisconsin was sending seven, eight guys into the box pretty much every play to stop the run. Um, it's no secret that Penn State has arguably the best group of running backs um, in the Big Ten and maybe even in the country. And so, of course, that's what you're going to try and take away. You're going to try and take away a team's strength and force the perceived weakness, which is Penn State's quarterback play, to, to beat you. And Wisconsin did that for the first half. Um, and I think to some degree Penn State was kind of um, – you know, banging their head against the, the wall, trying to get something to work that wasn't going to work because of what the defense was giving them. I think there was a little bit of stubbornness there over the first half. Um, but I think you saw the glimpses in the second half once they kind of figured out what they wanted to do and, and what could work. Um, it did start to open things up a little bit. It certainly wasn't the, the dominant running game that I think we we expected to see this season. I think we still will see this season. Um, but... I think it was more going up against a really good defense that had a very clear intent 
uh, with what they wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that I think I'd say was I think they eventually realized they could use their passing game to replace their running game, which was they realized that if you just throw those little flare screens, uh, those little swing passes out to a Parker Washington or something like that, and you give him a couple of blockers, yeah, he's going to get four, five, six yards, and that's not going to be the kind of big passing play that Penn State wants, Uh, but... That does two things. One, it gives you a, it effectively gives you a running game. It gives you the ability to be able to pick up a few yards, relatively low risk. Uh, you're not worried about, you know, someone jumping around or something like that. Uh, you know, you get your blocks on the outside. You're going to be able to pick up a few yards of that. And then two, this was something that I noticed going back and watching. And, and we'll talk about the second half here in a second. But there was one moment in there. Um, where they sent uh, Parker Washington out for one of those little swing passes. And Clifford pump fakes over to him, and Wisconsin's rushing for its second down and five. And they basically have one, two, uh, three, four. They basically have six dudes at the line of scrimmage and then one safety deep. That one pump fake by Clifford froze all six of those dudes. And that was the big passing play where Jahan Dotson got behind Clifford leads him a little bit more. That's going for a touchdown. Uh, but instead, you know, just goes for a big gain. I think that might've been the drive uh, that Noah Kane scored his touchdown on, but I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, but that, and then like you mentioned, Matt, eventually they were able to get a little something going on the ground with Noah Kane, not a ton going. Uh, Kane had uh, pulling it up right here, eight carries for 48 yards. Uh, six yards per carry and one touchdown. Uh, they also used Kane pretty nicely in the passing game, five catches, 27 yards. Uh, but just generally, second half, the offense got a lot more explosive. It got a lot more dangerous. I, like I mentioned, 43 yards of offense in the first half, uh, 297 for the game, Penn State had 254 yards of total offense in the second half. Extrapolate that out over an entire game, and you have one of the best offenses in college football. So what did you think was the reason for Penn State being able to uh, – like, just what worked? What worked in the second half that was not necessarily working in the first? Well, I think you alluded to one of them. They were able to get their their playmakers, whether it be Noah Kane or Parker Washington or Dodson or even Lambert Smith – the ball out on the edge, um, which is where they have the advantage. They have they have an athletic advantage over Wisconsin, especially when you get those guys in space. Um, and you saw it with Kane in the passing game, being able to get one-on-one with guys and break tackles. You saw it with Washington just being able to, you know, kind of not necessarily make guys miss, but, um, you know, use his 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 wiggle or his, his little bit of, of athleticism to to pick up those four or five yards. I think the other thing that um, you kind of touched on there is that little swing pass play is a perfect example, I think, of some of the things they were doing in the first half that were setting up things they wanted to do later in the game, whether it be that pump fake to hit Dodson down the field or set up to try and pull a guy out of the box, you know, to, to set up the run. They had three or four different, I'll call them plays, that they ran off of that same kind of look where they'd run um, – whether it be a receiver or a back into the flat there for that little swing pass, whether they would throw to him or, um, or hand it off or look to go downfield. 
And I think they were able to exploit Wisconsin's ability or Wisconsin's plan to stop the run. Um, the, the Fox broadcast did a really good job, I think, of showing that on a couple of the plays they hit downfield, how aggressive Wisconsin was attacking the line, whether Penn State was was showing run or not. They had guys going downhill, which is, of course, going to open up the the big play over the top. And you saw him hit it with, uh, with Dodson for the first touchdown. The big play to Dodson later where it was a little bit of an underthrow. Um, the big, I think it was a third down play to, Lam- to Lambert Smith that Clifford just threw on a rope. Um, all, all those are great examples, I think, of Wisconsin being so aggressive to stop the run. And Penn State saw it, and they took advantage of it. And I think for all of his struggles, you know, he missed a couple of those passes down the field too. But And for all of his struggles, Clifford deserves credit for hitting those plays too. Um, and I think that little bit of, uh, of success, both hitting those plays and also keeping drives moving. We saw the effect of that tempo had, I think, on the offense. And I can't remember who it was in, in some conversation, whether it be in our Slack or in a group text thread or something, but kind of getting Clifford out of his own head a little bit and just, you know, go play football. Don't, you know, don't go into the huddle. Don't check with the sideline. Just, you know, take the snap, run the play, and, and move on to the next one. And kind of establishing that little bit of momentum, I think, was really good. Um, not just drive the drive, but I think for the the half as a whole, being able to um, get some positive things going, build upon their successes, and even going back to those drives, you know, to not belabor the point, but Clifford had that wide open Dodson play. I think would have made it fourteen nothing if my memory is right, um, so. or maybe maybe fourteen seven. I can't remember exactly the chain of events, um, but I think even going back to last year, there were, those plays were there last year too, and they didn't make them. And I think to come back then and and have would have been uh, two more scoring drives, um, maybe even three if you count the missed field goal. Um, to have that after those those failed conversions, if you will, I think is just a testament to, I think, where this team is from last year to this year, and most importantly, in a sense, where Clifford is from last year to this year, in, you know, that confidence that he's talked about and a little bit we've talked to him in the media. Um, and I think we saw some glimpses then, too, of, of what this offense can be as they get more settled. And, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier. I think it was Urban Meyer last year before the uh, the day of the Penn State-Michigan game Maybe it was two years ago. I guess it was when Gaddis, um, you know, his first year at Michigan, Urban Meyer was talking about how it take, can take five to six games in a lot of cases if you're installing a really new offense to really feel comfortable with it. I don't think Penn State has that type of learning curve because they've run a variation of what Yersich is installing um, for the last several years. But there is still that learning curve there, um, getting used to how, you know, how plays are called during the game, how, you know, personalities mesh during games and things don't go right. Um, I think we, we saw that and I think having that come against a team like Wisconsin in a tough environment like Camp Randall is, is going to be so huge. Um, I asked the question before the season, uh, before the first game, you know, if you switched Villanova and Wisconsin on the schedule, does your prediction for how Penn State, Penn State season go change with the idea being that you have a chance to kind of work out some of those kinks against the team that you you're going to win the game handily regardless of how well you really play. Um, I think the, there's a risk-reward with that, certainly, but having that success in the environment they did against the team that they did, um, I think is going to be huge going, especially through this first half of the season when you've got Auburn coming up in a couple of weeks. A tough game against Ball State this weekend. Um, and then you have to go to Iowa City. You have Indiana coming in. 
Um, it's a tough schedule uh, leading into the, the bye week in October. And I think having this experience to, to draw back on now with the win in your pocket is going to be so invaluable because um, they're going to face tough moments in the next five games and the rest of the year. But having that, that success ultimately come to fruition against Wisconsin, I think, is just going to be so big. Yeah, I mean, kind of going back to the resiliency, I went back and looked in the notes for when uh, Clifford missed that big throw to Jahan Dotson. It was their last drive of the third quarter, uh, coming right back out, Wisconsin, uh, following drive, Wisconsin kicked the field goal, uh, and then Penn State's touchdown run uh, right after that. So, yeah, it was uh, not not bad. Not bad at all. I, I mean, I really do think that it was just a matter of getting getting those big plays and getting Sean Clifford into a rhythm. I mean, I uh, want to you know, give a hat tip uh, to Mark Wogenrich for tweeting this out. Um, James Franklin said Penn State wins 97% of its games when it wins turnovers and explosive plays. I mean, Wisconsin very clearly wasn't going for explosive plays. Uh Longest run was of 19 yards. Longest pass was of 23 yards. Uh, Funny thing about that longest passing play, uh, 23 yards. Penn State had three, four guys catch passes. Three of them had their longest receiver reception be uh, 24 yards or more. So Penn State very much was taking the chicks dig the deep ball approach uh, to football here. And it worked out for them quite well uh i think that we're going to see them really rely on that which is something that i'm very uh happy about because that's just a more fun way to uh to to win football games uh and the other thing is i think that just takes advantage of what sean clifford does well uh sean clifford wants to grip it and rip it i don't think he wants to uh do all the cutesy uh you know screen passes and short, quick, you know, Graham Mertz type passes. He wants to let it fly. I mean, Graham Mertz, 22 for 37, 185 yards, two interceptions. Uh, Sean Clifford, 18 for 33, 247 yards and a score. Like one of those quarterbacks very clearly had a better day. And it was the guy who came into this game having to prove that he was capable of having that better day. So that was huge. Penn State's receivers are very good at getting open uh, and kind of making big explosive plays in ways that I don't think uh, Wisconsin's are, even if I think they have some really uh, talented pass catchers there. Got to run the ball a little bit more, and it worked out well. Uh, and then, Matt, I think it's time we uh, talk about the defense uh, performance that they put on Wisconsin. They allowed 359 yards. It was very bent, but don't break E. Uh, approach to football, but boy, was that, it was so good that at the end of the game, uh, not the end of the game, when Jaquan Brisker picked off Graham Mertz, Gus Johnson just screamed the word defense a few times. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I don't think there's enough adjectives or superlatives you can throw out for, for how well the defense played. Um, I think it works out to like three and a half yards or a hair over three and a half yards per play. Um, on the field for 42 minutes or whatever it was, 95, 97 plays against. Um, yeah, you, you can dissect this anyway, but I think um, the defense as a whole played its best game. Um, it's kind of, I don't know how long. Um, you know, we've we've talked a lot about over the last couple of years, especially 
Um, you know, Penn State's inability to get to the quarterback, Penn State's inability to defend the pass, Penn State's inability to to close out games on the on the defensive side of the ball. And Brent Pry's group answered basically all of those pretty emphatically in, in on Saturday. It was um, they controlled the running game for the most part. Yeah, they had yeah, I can't don't tell you can't tell you how many yards rushing. But it never really felt like they they really established the running game were becoming physically dominant up front. Um, they certainly didn't let Mertz um, you know pick them apart as they have basically every quarterback. Um, it seems like for the last couple of years has had big days against Penn State's defense. Um, I think a big part of that is um, they were able to get pressure pretty consistently. I think they only got credited with two sacks on the day, um, but they they rushed they hurried Mertz you know a handful of other times. They got shots on him as he was throwing. Um, and that stuff adds up over time too. I think, um, you know, I'm not going to say that those are the reasons why he, he threw the interceptions to Brisker and Brown there at the end of the game. But, um, there was one play where I think he, he got hit and Brown almost had the pick. The, the Wisconsin receiver made a really nice play on the ball to kind of break it up there. Um, and that stuff takes a toll. And I think for all as great as Jason Owe and Shaka Tony were last year, um, they didn't consistently get pressure um, on the passing game the way that I think they were able to on Saturday against what's, a, I'm sure, a very good Wisconsin offensive line, because it's always a very good offensive line in Wisconsin. Um, and, and you know, not to belabor the resiliency point, but, you know, they give up a, you know, a, a 10 or 12-yard run, or they give up, a, you know, a third down conversion, and they they go back out there and they make, they make the play on the next series of downs, or they'd, they'd step up and they'd make the play in, in the red zone. And yeah, they got a little bit of fortunate with Wisconsin fumbling the handoff and then the fumbled snap late, but they still stepped up and made the plays after those. You know, they recovered the fumble that Tarburton did, but after the, the fumbled snap late in the game, they still had to make, I think it was two or three more stops after that. Um, and I think that's the series that, that Brisker had the interception. And then after Ellis Brooks gets it's ejected for the targeting call, Wisconsin's able to drive the ball down the field a little bit um, as time's running out. Uh, I think it was uh, Ekabide got to Mertz um, and forced the, the grounding call, and then Brown gets the interception. In a lot of ways, it reminded me of the Indiana game last year, and obviously the Hoosiers were driving to tie and not not win, assuming that Wisconsin made the extra point. But there were a lot of similarities, to me at least, as far as the, the defense is out. The defense has a chance to close out the game um, at that point, and they made the plays. Um, even if they gave up a couple big plays, they were still able to rebound and, you know, Brown comes up with the interception. AK comes up with the, the pressure on the quarterback. Um, I thought they just, you know, you can go down the line. I don't think there's a guy in the defense that had a, a, a poor performance. Um, you know, obviously guys like Ellis Brooks were unbelievable. Um, you know, um, Brisker, you can't say enough about him going on, in and out with the injuries. Um, you know, it seemed like every other play there for a while he was, he was slow getting up, but um, you know, the linebackers played very well. Um, I thought the um, this is the best safety play that Penn State's had in a long time. I thought Brown and Brisker were both very good. I thought Sutherland um, put in there on and off to, as Brisker was getting injured. Getting injured um, was really solid. He wasn't you know the the game changer like Brisker is, um, but he didn't hurt Penn State. Um, he made tackles. He was in the right spot. Um, just really you know like I said to start this little monologue. I think it's as good a performance as Penn State's had defensively in a long, long time. Uh, yeah, pulling up the numbers here, uh, Wisconsin, 359 total yards, uh, 37 passes, 185 yards, so five yards per pass. 
uh, 58 rushing attempts, uh, 174 yards, three yards per rush. Uh, and then you mentioned sacks. Yes, they uh, Ellis Brooks and Arnold Ebiketti both had a sack. Six tackles for loss. Brooks had one. Smith had Brandon Smith had one. Ebiketti had two. PJ Mustafer had one. Jaquan Brisker had one. And only two tech, two QB hurries listed, but. I thought you could definitely see that Mertz was feeling some heat even beyond that. And when he wasn't, of his, uh, you know, 15 incompletions, uh, there were four passes defended in there along with two picks. So, you know, do the math on that. There were just nine that he missed then. So really impressive performance front to back by Penn State's defense. If you told me that Penn State's defensive line was not just going to put in a shift, but actually, like, challenge Wisconsin and win some of those challenges, uh, especially after we heard that Hakeem Beeman was not going to be in. I Like, I would have thought you were insane. Uh, but they did a really good job. Linebackers were everywhere. Uh, cornerbacks were, you know, cornerbacks were swarming. Even, you know... Uh, Joey Porter Jr., Tariq Castrofields, obviously both had really good games. But even when, you know, they're bringing in Daquan Hardy, I thought he really battled as their nickel corner out there. Uh, and then the safety play, you know, you, you just cannot say enough nice things about the performance that we saw out of uh, Jaquan Brisker. I mean, he had four tackles. Uh, if you told me he had 15, I would have believed you. He just felt like he was everywhere really setting the tone for Penn State's defense. Uh, just the kind of game that I think it's, it can be a little bit easy to see how many yards Penn State was outgained by. At no point, I don't know about you, Matt, I got a little PTSD at the end of that game when Wisconsin was driving uh, just because I was a little – I didn't love – that Penn State seemed like it was uh, going to be playing prevent and saying, yeah, you can march down the field, but at a certain point, we're just not going to let you into the end zone. But other than that, like, it felt like one or two things was going to happen. One of two things was going to happen on every drive. One, Wisconsin was going to shoot itself in the foot, which they seemed like they took pride in shooting themselves in the foot. Or two, uh, Penn State was just going to make something happen. Yeah, it was... I my wife can attest to this. I was was uh, having flashbacks. I don't think I vocalized them, but I was kind of up pacing around the kitchen, which looks over our our family room. We were watching the game, and I think it was the first two plays. Wisconsin rattled off, you know, 40, 35, 40 yards or something like that on two pretty easy completions, and it was what it felt very much like a here we go again. Um, and then a couple plays later, you get the Brooks targeting call. I think it was that series, if I'm right. Um, the, and all of a sudden, actually, I don't think it was. I think that was a, the previous drive where they got the brisker interception. But regardless, um, you know, Wisconsin's down to what the 25 yard line, and they haven't really felt like they've had to work for it a whole lot at that point. I think they made a couple good plays to get get guys tackled inbounds, keep the clock running. I think that it, it felt an awful lot like they were they were betting that Graham Mertz wasn't going to be able to lead an 84 yard drive in 50 seconds with no timeouts. Um, and it was certainly rough, but th they got it done. And I, and, and like I mentioned earlier, they 
they didn't do it by relying on Mertz to make the mistake. They, they forced a couple of mistakes by finally getting to the backfield, by forcing shorter completions, by making those tackles to keep guys in bounds. Um, and yeah, it's not, not pretty at times when I think when you, you go to the prevent defense, but I think um, ultimately it, it proved, it, it showed why you go to that in that type of situation um, where, you know, you only need to make one or two, not even elite level plays to, to ultimately run the clock out. Um, and they all, they were able to, you know, they didn't run the clock out, I guess, but they got the interception there in the last play. So it's, it, it was certainly a little nerve wracking. Like I said, I was not the, the calmest person at that moment. Um, but I think because of past history and that PTSD, we were kind of alluding to there. It, it, it that's I think made it me feel all the more satisfying to see them kind of close it out that way that we haven't seen in a bunch of those situations, whether it be, you know, the Ohio state games that we've talked about, the Michigan state games that, that we've talked about, um, you know, the, the Rose bowl game, they've had, they've had a lot of those games over the years and it's been, you know, for one reason or another, the Indiana game last year, they've had the defense on the field with a chance to win and they haven't done it. So understandable, but I don't think I, this is probably hindsight talking. I don't think it was as worrisome as it was last year, for example, in that Indiana game. Yeah. I mean that we'll ask a question about the passing game in a second, but like, I, I think Wisconsin's rushing game is a big thing because everything Wisconsin does is off its rushing game, right? Like Wisconsin wants to be able to run it between the tackles, run it off tackle, wants to be able to run it down your throat. Then Paul Chris wants to call those end arounds the gash you. He wants to be able to call play action, have you sneak up just a little bit and then be able to hit you a couple of times and be able to score. And the big thing was Penn State just didn't really let Wisconsin get anything going on the ground. I mean, Ches Malusi, 31 carries, 121 yards on a touchdown. He averaged 3.9 yards per carry. Isaac Garendo, uh, 1356 uh, 4.3 yards per carry. They ran three end arounds. Uh, one was uh, by Chimera DK, one carry for 10 yards, two by Kendrick Pryor, two for 17. They were a nine yard gain and an eight yard gain. But they just didn't really seem particularly interested in opening up that part. Like they seemed really selective with trying to gash Penn State on those. And then they didn't really have the play action game really going. They had a couple of those, but you know, they had a couple of uh, passes on those play actions, but they weren't exactly gashing Penn state on them. So I thought Penn state's defense did a really good job, not letting Wisconsin do the thing that it wanted to do, which was really get its running game cooking. And that's, you know, that's a huge credit to that defensive line. That's a huge credit to those linebackers because Candidly, I just did not think they were going to be able to keep up. Uh, last question about Wisconsin's uh, about Wisconsin's offense, Matt. Uh, a lot of people saying Graham Mertz stinks. Do you think Graham Mertz stinks? I think the issue with Graham Mertz is no, I don't think he stinks. I think the problem is he came out so hot last year that as as college football Twitter and, and the college football media at large is known to do, he got anointed the next big thing based on, was it 20 or 20 of 21 or something to start the game against Illinois last year. Um, and I think between his recruiting ranking, which he was a top 75 prospect or something like that nationally, and that that start last year against Illinois, I think he set the bar so ridiculously high that 
um, the expectations sort out of control quickly. I think he's he's still only a second year starting quarterback too, and it's, in a lot of ways you can say he's a first year starter because of the especially what Wisconsin went through last year with with canceled games and the COVID outbreaks that they dealt with. Um, you know, he played what five or six games last year, um, if that. I think he I think he can be a solid quarterback. I think he um, is limited somewhat by the lack of a true, you know, Wisconsin doesn't have that game breaker. They don't have that Aberderis that they seem to have for a hundred years. Um, they don't have the downfield threat. So I think what their passing game is tends to be somewhat limited, but I think he's, I don't think he stinks. I think he is a young quarterback that um, had too many expectations put on him too quickly. Yeah. And I also think that, you know, it's coming off of Jack Cohn putting up numbers on Florida State. And, like, I just don't think Wisconsin's offense is – unless you're Russell Wilson and you were basically so good at quarterback that Wisconsin has to let you rip it, uh, I just don't think Wisconsin's offense is necessarily conducive to great quarterback play. Uh, so, uh, last thing uh, about this game, talking special teams, uh, listen – Outside of wondering why Jake Vinegar wasn't kicking, I don't really have any worries, Matt. Uh, anything that really jumped off the page to you special teams-wise? I, I thought Stout punted the ball unbelievable. I think he averaged like 55 yards a kick or something crazy like that. Um, he, obviously, the kickoffs are, were, the, were the usual. Um, the missed field goal isn't great. The missed extra point was a bad snap. Um, I, the way Franklin didn't really address the Pinnegar situation makes me wonder if he might be a little dinged up and they were hoping they could kind of get, you know, get away with not having to use him this week. Um, I could be way off base. I don't know anything, just a theory, I guess. Um, but I don't think long-term there's really anything to worry about. They, other than, than the two missed kicks that stick out like a sore thumb, I thought they were very good on special teams. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think I agree. I mean, as long, like I, I, I kind of feel bad for Jordan Stout because that's not what that that's not his game. His game is you put the ball on the 40 yard line, you center it, and then he's just going to kick the piss out of it. Um, But a Herculean punting performance by him uh, did enough to scrape by taking the ball. Uh, Then, you know, return game was by Brenton. Shout out Brenton strange, dude. Uh, That was, that, that was a nice return. Uh, oh, and I, I actually just remember the last thing I want to mention, uh, targeting call against Ellis Brooks. He is going to miss the first half of uh, Penn State's game against Ball State. Uh, just real quick, Matt, your uh, your thoughts on that one. I think by the, the letter of the law, it was the right call. I think as Joel Klatt very vocally said on Saturday, that's the, the quintessential – the ejection makes the, the the rule and the penalty so much harsher on a play where I don't think it was malicious. Um, but by the letter of the law, he, he, you know, he made contact with the, with the crown of his helmet and it was similar to, um, I think it was Sean Wade in the playoff for Ohio state a couple years ago. Um, I believe Joey Bosa got tossed from a, a new Year's six game for a similar hit where it wasn't, you know, direct contact to the head, but he dropped his helmet and it's, it was the, the, to protect the tackler, not the, the player being hit enforcement of targeting. And I think, like I said, by the letter of the law, I think it's the right call. I think it's just unfortunate that 
it not only cost Penn State 15 yards, but it took arguably their their best defensive player off the field at a key moment. Yeah, I, I was more pissed with how the how it came to be um, with Wisconsin basically not playing for a while. Like they just didn't do anything, and then they called a timeout, and then they kept showing the play on the video board in the stadium. And then eventually the refs went, okay, fine. And like that, like that's nonsense. Like, Well, ironically enough, I'm guessing they probably would have preferred to have that timeout um, a few minutes later. Yeah, yeah, I do suppose that uh, would have made their lives a little bit easier. But hey, at least they, uh, they were able to piss their pants and get a player thrown out of the game. So good for you, Paul <laughs> Chris. Uh, players of the game. Matt, uh, we'll let you give away one game ball on offense, one game ball on defense. Who are getting them? Um, I think on offense you have to go with Jahan Dotson. Um, I think whether he was making the play himself or not, I think his presence allowed them to to do some things in the second half there. Um, you know, getting behind the defense, every, you know, the three or four times that he did, I think opened things up for a little bit of a running game, a little bit of that sh- that shorter passing game. Um, and I think on defense, I think, oh man, there's there's so many guys to ch- choose from, but I think Brisker, um, you know, delivering on, on so much of the preseason hype um, and, so, you know, the NFL draft positioning and the, the pro football focus, all American teams and things like that. Um, I thought not just the interceptions, but um, just the, the more reliable safe play from the safety position. I think he was such a huge part of that. Um that he's probably the guy you have to go with. But, I mean, there are, you know, six or eight guys. I feel like you can make a case from the defensive side of the ball and not have a, a huge argument from anyone. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm going to give it to one of those guys. It's going to be Arnold Epichetti. Um The way making the jump from group of five to power five is not easy. Uh, making the jump from group of five to have a play, having to play against Wisconsin's offensive line is very not easy, but he he showed speed and power and a motor from defensive end that you know I tweeted it from from the blog during the game, but like dude's got some Cameron Wake in him like that. He is a potential game wrecker on the defensive line, um, you know for how good I thought Shaka Tony and Jason O. Jason OAR, even if uh, their production wasn't necessarily there. I think Ebiketti is just the kind of guy whose motor runs so hot, who is just so single-minded in his focus in getting into the backfield and creating havoc. You know, maybe Penn State goes up against a team that is able to punish that, but I don't think so. Like, I think this guy is just the real deal uh, at defensive end. Uh, and then – Offensive side of the ball. I'm going to go with Deshaun Clifford, honestly. I mean, I it was something I said in one of our preview podcasts this season. Sean Clifford doesn't – Sean Clifford doesn't get the job done. Anything we might say about the season does not matter because Penn State's going to stink this year. Uh, maybe not even – maybe not stink. Maybe they're a seven or eight win team, but they need Sean Clifford because it's Sean Clifford or nothing. Like as much as, you know, I'm a – you know I'm a big Christian Bayou fan. Uh, I think – Taquan Roberson is a talented enough guy, and there seems to be some real positive buzz around him out of the program. None of that matters if Sean Clifford can't get the job done. And he got the early game jitters out of him. He got some some of those bad passes. He still 
Like there was still some stuff about him that worried me. He really likes throwing off of his back foot. But on the whole, Sean Clifford did exactly what he had to do in that game. And Penn State was able to get over the top because of it. Uh, and then I want to give uh, just a quick tip of the hat to one other guy. And that was Nick Tarburton, uh, because I think he's going to be, end up playing a lot of football, a lot of really important football for Penn State this year. And I thought even when uh, he wasn't getting there, I think he showed a motor and a toughness that, you know, in that Ryan Buckholtz mold of defensive end, which I'm always going to be a sucker for. Uh, moving on to kind of our last thing about this game, Matt. Uh, anything, anyone from this game that really surprised you? I don't know. I guess Ellis Brooks, I think, you know, we've seen a lot of him over the last couple of years, and he's had kind of fallen into that, you know, this is a, this is what he is as a player. Um and I think he certainly played very well. I don't, I don't want this to sound like I'm downgrading it at all. Um, but I think he, he did benefit a little bit from the type of team that, that Wisconsin is. I think it plays into a lot of the things he does really well. But with that said, I think he did an unbelievable job, um, you know, fulfilling that role. And I think he flashed some things. He flashed a little bit of ability to, to disrupt plays was opposed to being just kind of the reliable middle linebacker that's in the right spot to make a play. I think he showed um, a little bit of ability to rush the passer, a little bit of build, a little bit more athleticism and speed than we've probably seen from him in the last couple of years. Um, I don't know if that counts as surprising, but I think he, he's a solid player. But I think his performance on Saturday kind of took that next step, and I'm I'm going to be fascinated to see how he fares going through the rest of the year. Obviously we won't see him for the first half on Saturday against ball state, but um, I think his combination of him, his emergence at middle linebacker and then allowing Lukita to play more of that defensive end position where I thought he was very good, um, you know, taking advantage of a lot of the stuff that Lukita does well, namely, um, you know, his physicality and, and his ability to get into the backfield. Um, one of my buddies commented to me that he's the, Lukita had kind of turned into the kind of player that it seemed like every team we played had a guy like that, that just, you know, you couldn't really consistently shut him down. I think, I think he finished with five, four or five tackles and, you know, was in the backfield an awful lot. I thought he was very disruptive from that end end spot. So I don't know if that counts as surprising, but I think of on a very good defensive performance, I think those two guys kind of jumped out as kind of playing above what we've seen from them for the last couple of years. Uh, yeah, two dudes for me, one Keandre Lambert-Smith, four catches, 71 yards, including a, a, a very nice 52-yard uh, reception there in the second half. Uh, you know, I think for him, he had a better statistical game than Parker Washington. Uh, I think that's probably going to be the case in a lot of games just because I don't know if Washington's to take a top off the defense kind of guy. I think he's probably more the guy who like gets into spots, catches the ball 12, 15 yards down the field. He's going to be the guy in those swing passes. But Lambert Smith is going to be a guy who, when opportunities pop up, he has to take advantage of them. And I think we started seeing some flashes. I think he might have dropped a pass, but he was able to bounce back from that, which is big. I mean, for a young dude, you drop one pass, that can feel like the end of the world. And I thought it was good for him to show some resiliency. And then uh, defense said, well, yeah, it has to be Jesse Lukita. Uh, I think if you told if you told me he was going to have to play a ton, uh, and you know, Dan, funny enough, just drops snap counts into the slack. So I'm going to 
let myself say surprised, but if you told me he was going to have to play a ton and not just have to play a ton, but play a ton at defensive end, I would have been a little bit worried, but man, the way he was able to adapt to a brand new position so quickly and lead by example, lead in his performance and really just look like a guy who plays with so much pride in himself and in his university and all that stuff. Hats off to Jesse Lukita. He deserves, I think, all the credit in the world uh, for putting up a really exceptional performance, all things considered. Um, We're going to skip Big Ten chat this week, Matt, uh, in large part because, you know, wasn't a ton that happened in the world of the Big Ten this week. So instead, what I want to do is I just want to ask one final question before uh, we end this week's edition of the pod. Uh, And that's quite simply, how are you feeling now compared to the week leading into the game? Because, you know, unless you're, you know, say – an Indiana fan and you're feeling real humbled or an Iowa fan and you now feel like, you know, maybe we can make the playoff. It's hard to have the kind of really strong visceral reactions off of a week one game, but boy, I don't think I can blame a single Penn State fan. If suddenly, you know, their chest is puffed out a little bit more as they're walking into the office on Tuesday. (laughs) Well, I I'm, this is a two-part answer for me. I am not feeling as good now as I was feeling leading into the game because I'm back in Michigan and not in Hawaii where I was on my honeymoon. Shut (laughs) up, dude. Um, (laughs) I just had to sneak that in there. But as for uh, the, the, the subject of the podcast, um, you can't help but feel better. I think Penn State answered a lot of, of the big questions um, and they did it against a tough team. Um, which I think allows you to put more stock in a lot of it. And they, the things that didn't go well, I don't think think are are five alarm fires. There are things that I think you feel like they can get corrected, um, you know, over these next few weeks um, with a, a beatable Ball State team, with an Auburn game where I think we'll, they'll be a comfortable favorite, um, and then an Indiana, then, then Villanova before you have the Indiana Iowa back to back. But it feels like they. This Wisconsin game, in so many ways, felt like it was going to set the barometer for the season, um, certainly from a, a wins and losses perspective. And I, I thought if they won the game, this is a, a team that should probably win 10 games, or at least. If they lost the game, it felt like it was kind of a 7 or 8 win team because not necessarily the way it could spiral out of control, but I think this is a tough schedule to start the year. And there are uh, a handful of losses that you could see um, over the first six weeks of the year. And so I think having that win in your back pocket, having that confidence, and looking as good as they did for the most part, especially in the second half, um, it, it checks so many boxes and it makes you feel, um, it makes you feel like like one they're trending in the right direction after the disaster that was last year. Um, the guys that have needed to step up, by and large, all did on Saturday. You had a few new guys emerge that you maybe weren't expecting to play major roles. They were kind of like a cherry on the Sunday when you got that performance from them. So, um, you know, it's an easy answer, but I think it's um, I'm, I'm going to be really interested to see how they look on, especially how they come out of the, the locker room on Saturday against Ball State, um, because there's, you know, it, it's a natural letdown game. And we've talked so much about this um, over the offseason, it feels like. But 
coming off the big win, having the big Auburn game the next week in the whiteout under the lights. Um, I'm going to be very, this it's a game that they will win. I don't, th- I don't think there's any question about that. I'm not worried about, about the, the huge upset, but I, I'm going to be very interested to see how they come out to start the game because I think because of the, the way they won the game and some of those issues that we've talked about that, that they're going to be working on here going forward, you're going to be able to have a team that's still pretty fired up, I think, going into a, the game. Plus, you add in the fact it's their first game at home in front of fans in almost 24 months. Um, I found the data. It was November 30th, I think, against Rutgers in 2019 was the last time they had fans in Beaver Stadium. So um, that's, you know, it's 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 fun. It's, you know, like you said, you kind of hold your chin up a little bit higher and puff your chest out a little bit walking into the office uh, tomorrow after the holiday weekend um, because because your, your team, you know, answered a lot of questions. And I think got a lot of good buzz. You know, I, Herb Street mentioned them during the game. Um, you know, they were the first or second highlight you saw during a lot of the, the half times of, of the games later in the day. Um, that, that stuff's all all big, I think, coming from where the program was not that long ago. What I would say is that I I now think, you know, to kind of some of what you just said, I, I now think the higher end outcome for this season is now possible. Do I think they're going to win the Big Ten East? Probably not. I mean, there there is certainly part of me that thinks uh, if you're going to beat Ohio State, it's going to be by just torching that, uh, do but disgusting ass secondary. Uh, and I think that Penn state has the guys who are capable of doing that. If they can give Clifford time to throw, um, I, I don't know how anyone's going to stop Ohio state's offense in the big 10. So I'm uh, neither here nor there. Uh, but otherwise, you know, they got that trip to Kinnick, but suddenly 10 wins seems very reasonable. You know, maybe they, Maybe they get caught by Indiana or Maryland or something. But right now, Penn State looks the part of a 10-win team. And to me, the big thing was James Franklin. And I don't know how many coaches in college football feed off of the energy that football brings than James Franklin. And I think that was, you know, we've spoken at length about how, um, you know, on a personal level, being separated from his family, it just did not seem like James Franklin had a particularly good time last year. This year, dude is celebrating everything on the sideline. He's this big old grin on his face. When he's going around after the game high-fiving Penn State fans, he sees one gentleman in a white fedora and rips it off and throws it on his head and, you know, starts you know, starts going De La Hoya on his chest. Like he was having so much fun and he just looked so much more free and so much more relaxed and so much more like the James Franklin that came to Penn State than the guy who coached the team last year, which is certainly not meant to be a knock on him. I think it's just the gravity of everything on a personal level, and then even feeling like he was the unofficial spokesperson for Big Ten coaches about how they were navigating the whole COVID thing. 
James Franklin was the guy who was on every TV show, on every radio show, explaining things away, advocating for a safe football season. And then he he was one of two coaches, I think Rucker, Greg Shiano might have been the other, who played an entire season. And he did that under incredible personal stress. And now that we got that James Franklin back, I think that the sky is the limit for this Penn State team, uh, even if I think you know, uh, the folks in my current city might be a little bit higher than the sky. And it just feels like Penn State football has the jet pack strapped to its back. By the time we, by the time people listen to this podcast, there's a decent chance they're going to know where Penn State's ranked. But all in all, Matt, I can't think of a better way for Penn State to start this college football season. Any final things uh, that you want to add about Penn State, about this game, uh, about anything that happened in the Big Ten before I do the sign-off? No, I think I'm going to write about it later this week, but I think um, you hit on a very big point. And this this is the first time Penn State looked like it was having fun in, in almost two years. Um, you know, last year, you know, from James Franklin on down, this, that wasn't a, a, a – results aside, it never really felt like the Penn State football program that we've come to expect um, – you know, wins and losses aside, again, the the personality of, of the coaching staff, of the players, of just the program in general kind of had a certain fun, fun-loving atmosphere about it. You know, the videos you they released on social media, there just wasn't any of that last year for the obvious reasons. Um, and I think if this season plays out the way I think it has the potential to now, I think we're going to learn a whole lot more about how important that is to the type of program that James Franklin ideally wants to run and how his programs are successful. And that's, you know, the personal relationships, that's having fun with his players, that's having fun with the fans, and really letting that, that personality um, that we've, we've all come to enjoy really shine through. Um, and this, you know, like you said, you know, he's running down sidelines, giving fans high fives, he's stealing hats, he's, he was having fun. And he's, he's been having that kind of fun all fall from what we've been able to see behind the scenes. And I think that's, that's really going to go a long way. I think. I actually like, there's one big 10 thing I want to talk about and it's not really a big 10 thing. Temple babies. You will add 61 points to the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. What are we doing? Just you should, I think you should not be allowed to have a football program. If you let Rutgers hang 61 on you, man. I, I only saw the score, but I, I think uh, I, I think they've fallen off a little bit from the uh, the, the Matt Rule and, and and Al Golden years, maybe. Well, it's it's a funny thing because uh, they threw the ball twenty nine times for one hundred and forty five yards, just the exact same yards per attempt that Graham Mertz had, and they ran it fifty one times for two hundred and twenty yards. Uh, and just had six touchdowns off of that. So we're, 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 we're going to have a conversation about uh, Temple football, maybe at some point, uh, but you know, they're irrelevant. So whatever. Uh, yeah, that's it for today's episode of the podcast. Thank you everyone 
for tuning in. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all podcasting platforms. If you're going to head over to Apple Podcasts, make sure you're leaving us a five-star review. Make sure you are reading and supporting the site. Best way to do that is to buy some shirts. Matt's got a bunch of them in his basement. He would love to send one to you. And more importantly, his wife would love it if he sent them to you. So get on that. Make sure you're following us on all of our social media channels. Like I mentioned, after games, uh, we're going to try and do some Twitter spaces after all of them to give some really quick reactions uh, to the game. Might not do one after Ball State. Going to see how we're feeling. But, yeah, it should be a fun season for Penn State football. We're excited to be able to talk about it with all y'all every week. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.